Be strong and courageous. You can go ahead and be seated. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Joshua chapter 3. We continue in our journey, our Joshua journey this morning, Joshua chapter 3. I'm so glad that uh, my wife Jennifer is here. And if you uh, heard the, the, the tornado sirens going off earlier, it's because we have two tornadoes, Cooper and Callie, with us. Our grandson and our granddaughter are over here somewhere. And uh, our daughter Laura is with us visiting. It was, a, it was a fun day yesterday at Siesta Key. If you get there early, it's not crowded. But if you stay too long, it's really crowded. And we were, we were tickled and we're very thankful to have them with us. Let's jump right in the scripture, Joshua chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Shedem and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of the three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Isn't that a good word? And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and they went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priest who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will, he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites. There's a lot of ites in here. The Perizzites, the Jeragashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe of man. And when the soles of the feet of the priest bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. And the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priest, bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priest bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood... Now, can I stop here for just a minute? That, that's, that's not natural, folks. That defies gravity. They stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam. 
the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of, of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, would, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. And now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. I've taken the time this morning to read the entire chapter because I want us to think about this, faith to face the impossibilities. This morning, I want you to think in terms of not only you as an individual person, but I want First Baptist Church us to think corporately. I want us to think as a body, as a body of baptized, born-again believers, people who know Christ. I want us to think about crossing over. During World War II, my father was a master sergeant during that that conflict during that, that, that war of all wars, and he was stationed on the island of Saipan. Many of you that, that have done your history and studied history, he told me that, that even after the war was over, after the peace treaty was signed, that many of the enemy were still fighting on that island. In fact, he was there 18 months after the peace treaty was signed, and they were still shooting at each other. But he told me about a group of, of naval, uh, they weren't all officers, but, but they were a portion of the Navy called the Seabees. Anybody ever heard of the Seabees? And they were this naval construction battalion. He did a lot, they, they did so much work in the, in the Pacific, and after the Marines or the Army would come in and they would land on an island, these naval Seabees would come in and build roads and they would build camps. And this was their slogan. They said, the difficult we will do immediately. The impossible may take a little longer. In Joshua chapter 3, the leader, Moses, is dead. He's gone. His backup, his understudy, Joshua, is now the leader. You'll recall that, that first chapter that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. God says to Joshua, be strong. Be courageous. It was a new day for Joshua. It was a new day for all of Israel. New leadership, new direction. It looked difficult to some, but to some, it looked impossible. The great thing about our God is the impossible doesn't take him any longer. There is no difference in the eyes of God between the difficult and the impossible. But there are some reasons why oftentimes, as individuals, and as a church, we come up to the cliff, to the edge, and then we quit and we fall short of walking in the life that God intends for us. Now let me remind you that the land of Canaan does not refer to heaven. It's not at all a reference to heaven. In fact, many, many times we have written songs that say, oh, Canaan land, or, or, or we give some reference to that, but Canaan land represents what Jesus said when he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He's talking about the nasty now, okay? He's talking about right now. He has come that we might live this exchanged life. Not I, but Christ that lives in me. And so when the Israelites came up to the Jordan River, I want to show you some things that oftentimes happen 
when we come up to the edge of crossing over that we do. Number one, we trust in fleshly wisdom rather than the Word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I want you to understand that your transitional pastor believes the book. I believe the Bible. I believe it. You know, I, I'm, I'm like the old-fashioned Southern Baptist pastor that used to say, I believe it cover to cover, including the maps. Okay? I believe it. I believe it is our guidebook. It is our only reference book. It is the book in which we go to for not only our meditation and, and, and our preaching and our teaching. It is what this church is all about. It is our authority. And so we trust often in wisdom, fleshly wisdom, rather than the Word of God. You know, when, when you begin to say, well, well, I think instead of God says, we fall short. What we think can be challenged. It can be refuted. It can be argued about. But what God says is forever settled. God's word is true forever. Ten of the twelve spies in Numbers chapter 13 got the grasshopper complex. And they missed God's blessing because they got to thinking instead of trusting. A few years ago in my life, I had to come to the point where I stopped thinking, Alan, you can do this. Alan, you can do that. No. And I started trusting what God had for me. Now, I, I don't want to give you any indication that I have stopped thinking. I haven't. Some of you might doubt that. But I, I trust, I, I say to you that, that I have learned to lean in to what God has for me and trust his provision rather than me being in charge. He is Lord of my life. But the second reason oftentimes we come up to the brink and we don't follow through is that we get a word from God and then we go ask somebody what they think about it. I'm not talking about seeking godly counsel. I believe in, in everything. That, that is a biblical directive. You will find out that, that I believe in talking to a, a lot of people, a diversity of people. If God gives you a promise, though, from his word, you need to stand on that promise. It really doesn't matter whether folks agree with you. If God has spoken and through his word given you a promise, I want you to understand when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, you can trust that. You don't have to ask anybody else about that. God will come through. Take God at his word. But here's another reason, church. We oftentimes hold on to tra traditions rather than the truth. Sometimes we, we have a hard time believing God can operate outside the experience or outside of our own little box or our denomination. You know, I, I've been a Southern Baptist all my life. I've never been a member of another church. I've always been a Southern Baptist. Now, in my interim pastorates, I have pastored a Bible church. But I want to tell you, I'm, I'm like the old Southern Baptist that I heard years ago. What would you be if you weren't a Southern Baptist ashamed? Uh oh, oh, I knew I'd get a boo over there. You see, I'm not tied to a convention or a denomination. You know why I'm a Southern Baptist? I'm a Southern Baptist because Southern Baptists are people of this book. That's why I'm a Southern Baptist. If Southern Baptists ever get away from this book, you know what? I won't be a Southern Baptist. I'm going to be a person of this book. But hear me today. 
We hold on sometimes to our traditions. Things change, folks. They have to because people change and because methodologies change. God's word will not change, but I will tell you this, that the way we reach and disciple and go after people and evangelize has to change. We hold on sometimes to traditions. One time in a church, this will really date me, I had a dear lady come into my office and say, we, we can't get the younger women to attend WMU. Some of you don't even know what WMU is. Some of you do. And I said, well, first, starting off, I would tell you that probably we need to change the name. Oh, Lord, have mercy. You'd have thought I had cursed her. I mean, it was like violent reaction. I have a good friend that, that, that oftentimes, uh, you know, he, he would say, man, there's some things in a church you don't ever want to touch, Alan, and one of them is the WMU, Women's Missionary Union. Because if you do, you won't be long in your pastorate. <laughs> tried to change a Sunday school class or, or tried to get a, a Sunday school class to multiply and grow. That's, that's one way of saying I'm trying to divide you. I'm trying to get you to, to expand and to expand, uh, exponentially grow. And man, these, these folks were telling me, they were singing this song, Doug, I Shall Not Be Moved. I mean, it was like, oh, wow. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. First Baptist Church, hear me out on this. We fall short because God is not going to stay in the box we try to put him in. He's going to keep pushing us to get beyond what feels comfortable and keep stretching us to be where he wants to be. And over the, the next several months in this transition period, we're going to discover and learn some things about this church and where really God wants this church to go and what God wants this church to be. And you're going to have to agree with me to step outside the box a little bit. Not hold fast to, well, we've never done it this way before. You see, one of the roles that I'm going to play as a transitional pastor is, and I can do this because guess what? If you fire me, I still got a job. <laughs> this isn't my paying job. And Jennifer's saying, amen, thank you, Jesus. Because <laughs> you're walking into a cave right now all by yourself. But you see, what we are going to experience and see. And what I pray, what I pray for is that we would experience the presence of God in such a manifest way that all we would be able to say is, we didn't do that, but God did it in us. God did it through us. Sometimes fear grips us like it's gripping some of you right now. At the moment of decision, we get right up to the edge, and all of a sudden we become afraid, and, and, and we lose our focus. We start focusing on the challenge rather than on the Lord. We start to worry. What are people going to think? What, what are we going to do if God doesn't come through? I'd rather step out believing. God told me to do something than never step out and never see anything happen. I remember reading this by A.B. Simpson, be afraid of your fears, they will pierce your heart and hinder your advancement. Then, guess what? We get up to the edge sometimes, and you know what we do? We focus on ourselves. 
I'm just going to be very candid with you. That's, that's one of my greatest challenges. I get up to the edge of where God is taking me, and sometimes I start thinking, well, wait a minute, is this, is this good for Alan? No, that's the wrong question. What, what about my position? That's the wrong question. What about my place? That's the wrong question. We must focus on the Lord. We allow the devil to bring up something either from our past or we forget that God has covered us with his blood, that he forgives, that he cast our sin in the sea of forgetfulness and remembers it no more. Listen to me this morning. This pastor standing before you has had a multiplicity, a series of challenges. Don't ever get the idea that pastors are perfect because we'll prove it to you that we're not. But what I will tell you is this. I have come to the place in my life where I'm willing to step out and to say, Lord, I trust you. I'm not going to focus on me. My past is forgiven. My future is exciting because God is in control. And, and then the last thing that I would tell you about how oftentimes we come up to the brink, it's just a total lack of faith. We're not, we're not willing to believe God. Now, go back in your Bibles. Go, go back. Then Joshua rose early in the morning. That first verse, and I want to show you this. Appropriating faith in those first six verses means this. Taking what God says in his word and applying it to our lives and, and living according to it. So how do we appropriate that faith? First Baptist Church. Let's make sense of this this morning for our situation. First of all, preparation. God will never do what he can do before we do as much as we can do. Wait a minute, pastor. Wait a minute. You're saying that we've got something to do? His opportunity begins at the end of our extremity. Never will he act until we have been faithful to do what we can. That's faith. That's how it works. In 1996, my late wife and I were, were asked by the North American Mission Board to be the deans of a, of a school called the Gold School. It was, it was a school of juniors and seniors in high school that would go to the Olympic Games in Atlanta, Georgia, to minister there, to share the good news, and to be servants for any of the Olympic delegation that we were assigned to. It was an exciting challenge. My wife was pregnant at the time with our youngest son, David. And so it was hot. It was summertime. She was not due, though, until November. And, and we went. We, we spent a, 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 about a month going through 300 applications and selecting 40 of those outstanding young people. Let me tell you, it was like, it was like serving on a pastor search team. Every resume looked wonderful. I mean, resumes are funny, though, folks. They can say just about anything you want them to say. I mean, actually. But as I looked at these kids, and then as we started interviewing, it was just one after another. And we had a team of people, and, and we were interviewing these, these kids to be trained and to serve in this capacity. Now, what the people at the Home Mission Board or the North American Mission Board now didn't tell me was, not only were we going to select these students, but we had to raise the money to get them there. I said, so what's the budget? 
40,000. Huh? Just, and this were, these are my words, just 40,000? And they said, oh, we're so glad we selected you because we need to raise that in about three weeks. Well, we met with these students that we selected, and I challenged them. I said, listen, let's be the first. And, and I said, we're going to put this little Tupperware container up on the piano, and, and I'm going to say to you that, that skip sodas this week, that was, a, that, was quite a, that was quite a sacrifice for me back in that day. And so that immediately put about $1,000. No, no, not $1,000, but it put a lot of money in the Tupperware container, and I, I was trying to challenge these kids. I got to tell you that the first day that I walked in to, to be early, it was about 7.30. We were supposed to start about 7.45. I looked at our worship pastor, Lee. My wife was with me. And I said to Lee, because all of these kids are in this room that we're supposed to be in, they're all on their knees or on their face and they're praying. I said, Lee, how long have these kids been here? He said, I don't know. He said, I got here about 6.15, Alan. They were here long before that. And I walked in and among these students, and they were praying for me, and they were praying for our project. They were praying for souls to be saved. And I went, I'm not ready for these kids. I'm not where they are. When we sang, Doug, it was, it was glorious. And, and I, suffice it to say, I could stand here and talk for for several moments about that, but at the end of the week, those students in and among themselves had already raised $4,000. When we took up when we took up one love offering, there were about 2,000 campers at this, at this camp. When we took up one offering, in one offering between just camp sponsors and kids, and who in the world would take up an offering with students, with high school and junior high kids, middle school students? But there was $24,000 taken up during that week. Add to it the four that we had taken, and we're $12,000 close. That's all we had to raise for our budget, and that was raised within another day. And God then gave an increase at, over and above that. It was a marvelous week. We saw numerous people came to know Christ. Those kids' lives were forever changed and transformed and challenged. But they had to be prepared. Let me show you this. Here's where faith and works come together. In this passage, the priest had to move closer to the river. They were seven miles away. So first, Joshua had to get them into a position to cross the river. We can stand back in a safe distance from all that God has for us and say, I know it's out there. But I'm not going to take any steps of faith. I'm not going to move any closer. I'm not going to do anything differently. First Baptist Church, you can stand at a distance but if you don't cross over, you don't get into the land of Canaan. But the second thing was this, not only preparation, but consecration. Joshua told the people to consecrate themselves in verse 5. Why? Because the preparation was spiritual. The task was impossible. Please see this. They had to prepare themselves for the manifestation of God's power and presence today. I want the power of God.
but we don't want often to consecrate ourselves. We want revival. We want a great work of God, but we don't want to be set apart or uniquely different. At the Jordan River, ladies and gentlemen, we die. I want you to see this. Canaan is a picture of walking in victory and abundance in the spirit-filled life. But to get to Canaan, you, you and I have to die. We don't walk in the fullness of the spirit because we think we can get there without dying to self. You cannot get to Canaan on a bridge that goes over dying to self. You get to Canaan by walking through the Jordan, a river at flood stage. It is coming to the end of ourselves where we find the sufficiency that is in Christ because he is ours and we belong to him. And the God who takes us through the Jordan equips us and empowers us not to wallow in the Jordan on the wrong side, but to get across. The scriptures say that he brought us out so that he could bring us in. God did not bring us out of our Egypt to die in the wilderness. He doesn't want us to be unfulfilled. He doesn't want us to be unsatisfied. God brought us out so that he could bring us in. And it shall come to pass, the Bible says, about when the soles of the feet of the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above shall stand in one heap, dry ground. The priest took the first step. They stepped in. And when their feet touched the water, God pushed those waters back into a heap. Some of you are saying, do you really believe that? I absolutely do. It backed up 19 miles to a city called Adam, and there it stood in one heap. Now, ladies and gentlemen, listen. God pushed those waters back all the way, 16 miles. God doesn't lead you to step out in faith for you to get bogged down in the muddy middle he intends for you and I to cross over. And the miracle was a result of obeying God. They crossed, look at this, at the appointed time. Walking by faith is not according to your agenda or even to my agenda, your calendar or your clock. It's according to God's timetable. When you and I walk by faith, we don't do it when we feel like it. We do it when God says to do it. What if I don't feel like praying, Pastor? Go ahead and pray, please. What if I don't feel like following? Follow, because God has got a Canaan for us. But then they crossed at the impossible time. Don't think that walking by faith means that everything is going to be easy for you. In this transition time, we are going to discover some things that will be challenging some of you may, may be shocked at some of the things we discover, but in that discovery time, don't lose heart. Stay with it. Be strong and of good courage. God doesn't always want it to make sense to us because if he did, God wouldn't get the glory. The water was held in place until everyone crossed. And the people in the back were probably thinking like some of us do. This isn't going to last long. They're all, they're, those folks up in the front of the line, they're going to get over there on dry ground and we're going to get soaked, if not drowned. 
This is going to be a bad situation. You always have someone in a, in a church of this size with the Eeyore complex. Oh, man, the sky is falling. I think it's going to happen on a Sunday morning, too, while Alan Spear is up there. This is going to be a bad situation. It stayed dry until all of Israel had crossed. Now, how long do you think it took millions of men, women, boys and girls, cows and sheep to get across that river? Nobody got trampled. Nobody panicked. Everybody got across. And the Bible says that the Ark of the Covenant was out in front of them. That's important for us to realize because it represented the presence of God, ladies and gentlemen. And the reason it was being held up high out in front of everybody was that Joshua didn't want everybody to crowd around. God didn't want everybody to crowd around because the million people behind had to be able to see. Listen. We have to make sure that we understand this principle. It was carried high so that we've got a view of, yes, I'm going to go that way because some of us have a tendency to go this way and, and get distracted. No, God said, keep your eyes on the ark and follow it. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the next several months are going to be fun. They're going to be challenging. They're going to be exciting. But let me read something from Isaiah 43. But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. Boy, take that. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Some of you here today individually are facing Tremendous challenges. This church has great challenges in front of you. You're in the midst, but I want to take you up to the brink. And I'm going to ask one of, one of uh, uh, I'm going to ask another pastor this morning to speak into us. He's the pastor of Mosaic Church in Los Angeles, California. His name is Erwin McManus. And I'm going to ask for the next few moments, you listen to what happened to him when he came to the brink and he crossed over. He didn't let fear be the factor. He let God say, it's time. Watch this. is that most of us live our lives as if we're not dying. Most of us act as if we're going to live forever. Most of us act as if this day doesn't have infinite value. And in case you were unaware, I need to tell you that you're dying. And if you didn't know that, I'm sorry to ruin your day. But someone needs to tell you that you don't get this day back. You don't get this opportunity back. This is a moment you need to treat as sacred and essential. You need to leave each day as if it's the last day of your life. And, and then I gave myself permission. I'm gonna feel whatever I should feel. I mean, I don't know what a person with cancer feels. I've never had cancer before. So if I feel afraid, I'm gonna feel afraid. If I feel angry, I'm gonna be angry. If I feel bitter, I'm gonna be bitter. Whatever I feel, I'm just gonna feel. I'm not gonna pretend. I'm just gonna let it be what it is. And I can tell you the strangest thing happened. I never felt bitter. I, I, I didn't know how I could be bitter when I've lived such a beautiful life. 
how can I be bitter against God or against life? Because it it's been such an amazing journey. And I never felt angry because I felt like life has been so disproportionately good to me that I've experienced what others could only dream of. So how can I be angry? But what really surprised me the most was I never felt afraid. I mean, I was ready to feel afraid, and maybe I'll feel afraid tomorrow, but I can tell you, up to this moment, I've never felt afraid. And I started processing that. What's wrong with me? Am I a sociopath? What's going on? Why, why, why am I not afraid? And then I remembered when I was new in my faith journey, when I, when I, was, when I was encountered by the person of Jesus, and I, I didn't know how this whole faith thing worked out, and I wanted to see if what was written in the scriptures actually changed people's lives. So I decided to spend my life working in the middle of extreme poverty, in the middle of drug cartels, in the middle of crime and violence. And the first time I drove to what is at that time the highest crime rate, murder rate in the United States, I was driving Kim's little yellow Pinto. Now, if you want to be attacked in the ghetto, drive a yellow Pinto. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm in the middle of, of a street. My heart's pounding. I'm terrified. And I realized, how am I going to get out of the car when I'm so afraid? As I just stopped the car in the middle of the street, I didn't even pull over. I just started saying, God, I need you to help me. I'm afraid. And I kept waiting for, for some, some point of reference, some scripture that I'd memorize that would comfort me, like, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, or, or greater is he that is in me than, than he that is in the world, or fear not, for I am with you, says the Lord. So many great verses that could be in Gladiator or Braveheart. But none of those verses came. The one verse that came was one I never memorized, I never wanted to memorize, and I still don't want to memorize it. But it came crashing into my head. Erwin, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That was not encouraging. <laughs> but when I heard those words seeping into my soul, it was as if God was speaking to me, telling me, if you'll just die right now, I will take you where only dead men can go. And what happened in my life when I faced cancer was that I had dealt with death so many decades before that as they would say in the fashion industry, death was so last year. <laughs> and there's some of you here, death is still in front of you. So you're living your life in fear. But I want you to know, that your freedom is on the other side of your fears. That everything you long for, everything you hope for, all those dreams and desires and longings that have been placed there even by God will only be accessed if you can step through your fears to your freedom. And I'll tell you, in that moment, I had a little personal funeral. In that moment, I died and I said, God, I just wanna live a life that's absolutely free from the fear of death. Because death has a lot of companions. When you're afraid of death, you become afraid of failure, you become afraid of rejection, you become afraid of everything. You're afraid of the uncertainty of the future, you're afraid of the instability of the world around you. And I know too many people who say they have faith, but they're just absolutely paralyzed by fear. Death is not supposed to be in front of you. Death is supposed to be behind you. See, when you enter into a relationship with the creator of the universe, he puts death behind you. All you have in front of you is life.
Now, I know I'm supposed to be talking about leadership principles that, that translate into every environment, whether it's secular or spiritual, but I want you to know something. Before you're ever a CEO or before you're ever the president of a company or before you're ever a general manager or before you're ever a pastor, you're a human. And if you don't deal with the paralyzing power of fear in your life, you will never live the life you were created to live. Your freedom is on the other side of your fear. So stop running away from what you're afraid of. Lean into it and watch how you'll crash right through it. I had people actually wonder if I would be here today. Because you see, I think so many of us only have the structure to lead when the world is at peace and when life is easy. But leadership is not about living within the confines of your fear. It's about facing those and going through them. I ask you, will you take that step? Will you cross over with me? Will you walk over to the other side? And in walking over to the other side, on dry ground, let's discover what God has for us, for First Baptist Church. Say, will he reveal it? Absolutely. He may not reveal it all at once because some of us would really get afraid. But as he reveals it, don't say, oh, I think I'm going to take the, the ferry back over. I think I'm going to get on the boat and go back over to the other side. No. Stay with us in this land of Canaan, this land of discovery. And know that God has great things, wonderful things. He wants to prosper this church. He wants to lead us into areas of ministry that maybe we've never thought of. And then we can say, God gets the glory, but we get to experience that. Bow your heads with me, close your eyes.